rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. This is Bob Hutchins. Today, I'm talking with Doug Stewart. He's calling in from North Carolina. I'm really excited about this conversation because Doug and I share a few things in common. And one of those is that we both have a podcast, and that's how I got in touch with Doug. Doug runs a podcast called I Am Not Your Pastor, which we're going to unpack that a little bit further, obviously, uh, in the next uh, over the next hour. Doug lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, with his wife and children. And Doug is a certified Dale Carnegie instructor. He's also a TEDx presenter, which I'm very interested to hear about that. He's a coach, he's a storyteller, and he hosts a podcast that explores spiritual topics while maintaining intellectual integrity. And again, it's called I Am Not Your Pastor. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I've been looking forward to this call. You know, one of the things uh, that we talked about is we're going to kind of interview each other and kind of see how this dance goes. And uh, I'll be on your podcast, you be on mine, and uh, hopefully we can uh, make that work for over the next hour. Yeah, man, for sure. All right, good. Well, tell me, who, who, is, who is Doug Stewart? Uh, are you a native from Raleigh, North Carolina, or did you land there uh, from, from somewhere else? You know, I, am, I, I, I transplanted into Raleigh all the way from uh, the town I was born in, which is Sanford, about 18 miles south. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, most of my family on my, on my dad's side, um, we're just like from that, that small town We're mm. and, and we don't, and we don't leave. So it, it was quite shocking, even though it was 18 miles, it was shocking that, um, the country boy moved up to the big city. Um, so yeah, but I, I am from, I am a native of North Carolina. Um, and I've, I've been here all my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have, you're married, um, and you have how many kids? Uh, I have two. I have a. I have a soon-to-be eight-year-old. Um, she is. She is demanding that she is inside of a month um, of turning eight. So she <laughs> needs to be called an eight-year-old right now. And so we're we're complying with that. And I've got a a little guy who will be one um, just next week. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed your uh, your Instagram photos of your children. They're really cute. It looks like you, you're a good dad and you have a lot of fun with them. You know, they are they are my greatest teachers. Mm. They, they really are getting, getting to sort of relive experiences and things that things that you've already been through and watch them do it all over again is, is, is one of the greatest gifts. And I think our kids can be our greatest teachers uh, if we let them. Yeah. I was talking to Jeff Goins yesterday and he said um, he got a new pastor and that's a, a six-year-old little boy that he takes to school every morning in the back of his car. Wow. And yeah. uh, he was sharing some insights, which I thought that was uh, the storyteller that he is um, certainly put it, put it in a, a really cool context there. So, yeah. It's, it's incredible. I mean, just going like one of, one of my favorite things to do with my daughter is just go on walks and ask her questions about God and creation and how did this get here and how do you think that happened? And boy, she, she has a way to really just 
just lighten the my whole experience of life and expose just just such deep ideas and also in wreck my theology at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it brings on a whole new meaning of uh, becoming like a little child, right? Yeah, it really does. It really does. So, so talk to me a little bit about you know your your background, your history. Did you've got this podcast called "I'm Not Your Pastor"? You explore spirituality and questions, and 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 obviously in the context of a of, of a Christian faith narrative, is that how you were brought up, and is that what you've always been? And so it's been a natural uh, progress for you. Or talk to me a little bit about your upbringing. So I was I was born in a as mentioned before in a very small. Um, Southern town in North Carolina and um, yeah, was, was raised sort of, sort of Southern Baptist, went to the same, same church and school uh, my entire life. So I started in my Christian school in kindergarten and I graduated high school from that same place. Mm. Um, And so very much, um, very much fundamentalist beliefs and, um, uh, very, very decided, I, I guess is one way, uh, one way to put that. And, um, I fully bought into that, um, had an experience where it just didn't make a lot of sense to me when I was a junior in high school. And I looked around and thought, gosh, the things that we say we believe we don't really do. And it doesn't really work for some of the other people I know outside of my small town. And it just doesn't, didn't seem big enough. Hmm. And, um, I went through a real crisis of faith, ended up what, we call in, in, in the Southern Baptist world of uh, rededicating my life. I said the sinner's prayer again publicly. <laughs> and, um, and then I got up the next week and I, I spoke in my chapel service with the entire school and just told them about my experience, my rededication and a school of like 300 kids, like 37 of them got saved. Mm. Um, and, you know, said the sinner's prayer, walked down the aisle. We did the whole Romans road thing, the whole Southern Baptist thing. And then, and then I started, I started being sort of carted around to other schools to do the same thing. I think the leadership saw that and said, gosh, this is something that we can promote. This makes sense to us. Um, and so they would, they would, it wasn't uncommon for me to um, go to other, other Christian school in the areas, chapel services and do the same things. And kids would walk down the aisle and it was very much, uh, you better get right or you're going to get left theology. <laughs> um, it was very much uh, behavior based, saying the right things, praying the right way, and um, really followed that really hard until I went to college mm. and realized that it wasn't big enough and that it wasn't working and went through a just a big turning away and um, over time, my deconstruction lasted a really, really long time. And I went all the way to the point of like, gosh, this is, this is all just made up. <laughs> like none of this is real. This is all stupid. We probably came from monkeys. You know what I mean? Like sure. I'm, I just went like full fledged atheist and, um, and it was really through living life, suspending belief for a while, um, having, gosh, watching a child be born, um, and I think some real maturity in getting away from some of the, some of the indoctrination that I, I grew up around, I started to reestablish my belief system and started to reconstruct. Mm. Um, and I find myself here where I am now. I, I always wanted to be a pastor. Um, and 
I think some of it, I think a lot of it, frankly, was ego driven. Um, and, and I realized looking back at my, at my faith journey that oftentimes when people of faith, um, really want to commit in order for them to commit to the belief system that they're, that they inherited or that they marinated in as a child, in order for them to really do that, they really have to shut down the intellectual side of them. They can't ask questions. They can't explore. They can't, they can't, they can't reason. Uh, they just have to shut their mind off and blindly follow. And then you have the other side that isn't willing to do that. And they, they want to reason. They want to use their mind. But it seems like oftentimes on the other end of that, that they must shut their heart down in order to do that. And I felt like there, there could be a different way for me where I could explore with my whole heart, spiritual and the unknown and the, the things that, um, the, 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 the deepest questions while still leaving, uh, leaving my mind open. And that's really been my journey for the last handful of years is how can I, how can I do this with an open heart and an open mind, not sacrificing either. Mm. And that's where I'm at today. Yeah. So, so what does that look like practically? And, and when you say you went from, you know, and uh, kind of leaving your faith to being an agnostic or not an atheist to then reconstructing, what does that look like? And how is it different uh, than, say, your young high school um, faith and when you were more of a, a real zealot? Uh, is it night and day? Is it similar? Is I mean, what what what? How do how do you engage with faith differently? Say that when you were that junior in high school, um, it's way scarier now, hmm. <laughs> frankly, because because then it was really easy because I had all the answers. I could just point to a, a verse and our our particular stance. I could argue the point. Um, I knew the exact answer to everything and I could, I could counsel myself and other people into what was right, what was wrong, what God thinks and says about this and the people he loves and the people he hates. And so it was, it was a quite comfortable place to be. Um, and it wasn't very scary because I was chosen and other people either were chosen as well or they weren't. (laughs) And where I'm at now, um, it can be a little more scary, uh, from a from a certainty standpoint, because gosh, as, as humans, that's what we really want. We we want the answer. We want certainty. We want to know. We want to know that we're going the right direction and making the right decisions. And we want to know exactly who God is and what He thinks about every single uh, detail. And where my faith is today, the more I've the more I've learned, the less I know, mm. and the more I'm willing to raise my hand and admit, like I have a question about this, or is this is is there is there not a different way to think about this in the church or in my faith and 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 so I am I am a lot more open handed today I'm a lot more inclusive today I'm a, I'm a lot more um, I'm a lot more willing to um, to say gosh that doesn't really matter let's be friends anyways <laughs> whereas whereas before there was only two options either to talk to you about the people who were not like us to the people who were like me or to engage people that aren't like me to try to make them more like me. Mm-hmm. And boy, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough road. And um, so I would say it's scarier and way more fun. <laughs> and it's, it's more, it's more like being on the roller coaster mm-hmm. and being able to, to have the experience of, 
of living life uh, open-handed. Um, and boy, it's brought me so, so much better relationships and people that didn't grow up the way I grew up that doesn't, that don't look like the way I look. Um, and it's really given me an opportunity to see a, something deeper in my life than I think I could have ever seen had I, had I stayed in the same mindset that I was as a, as a kid. And so you went through college, came out, got married, had kids. You're kind of in a new kind of way of, of being and thinking than maybe the way you brought up. Before we get into the podca- how the podcast came about, I'd love to hear, you know, how did you go into being a certified Dale Carnegie instructor and a TEDx presenter? There's a whole section Man. of your life that obviously we haven't touched on. Let's talk about that yeah. for a minute. Yeah. Uh, completely by accident, man. Like completely accident. Did I, did I fall into this Dale Carnegie thing? Um, I, I graduated college in 2007, uh, nine months after my graduation, I made the best decision of my life in marrying, um, my wife. And so we were here in Raleigh. I was in a family business trying to carve out a life for us. I ran the family business for, for, I bought the family business, ran it for a handful of years and woke up one morning and just realized that it sucked. Like I hated it. Um, it was a, it was a, re- a retail furniture business and it wasn't cause the business was bad or anything like that. It was that that's where I grew, I grew up in that business. Um, and I was just burnt out before I really got started. Um, and so I spent most of my childhood in a furniture store, um, either going to or coming from a furniture store and furniture trucks and delivering and dusting and putting stuff together. And so I was kind of over it. And when I decided to leave, my, my family took it really personally. Um, and I really burned some bridges and it was really painful to get out and um, really lost contact with my family for about three years because of that decision. Um, you know, when you grow up in an entrepreneurial family that all the whole family works in the same business, um, sometimes when you leave the business, you have to leave the family hmm. um, because, because there's not a way to delineate between the two things. Um, when it's, when both of those things are so ingrained. So, um, I walked away from the business, which caused me to also walk away from the family to, to some degree. And, um, that same month that that happened, this is, this is, uh, September of, of 2011. Um, I walked away from the business, which means I walked away from everything, all my assets, all my inventory, my trucks, my tools. I walked away from everything. Um, with really nowhere to go. And that same month, my wife gave birth to our daughter and, um, she quit her job to, to be a stay at home mom. So we mm-hmm. lost gosh, 75, 80% of our income in the course of 30 days mm-hmm. and added a mouth to feed. <laughs> and so, wow. man, I was a broken. And so I'd taken this, uh, entry level, uh, outside sales rep position with a company called Tempur-Pedic. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't long after I had that role, I got a call from, one of the managers for one of my top accounts that said that they had a problem and that their, their supervisor was making them take this stupid leadership course and they didn't <laughs> want to take it. Um, but they wanted someone to go with me. And if I would go, they would pay for it. And so I was like scratching and clawing and trying to do everything I could to sort of just help my family survive. So I took it, uh, took the opportunity, showed up. It was the Del Carnegie. It was an eight week Del Carnegie program that fundamentally changed my life. Um, and I just hung around, I hung around there for like four years, um, just 
soaking it in, not getting paid, not being an employee. I would go to work all day and then I'd go, go to Dale Carnegie classes at night and help the instructors and just, just, I was just getting so much out of it. And then they gave me an opportunity to become certified as an instructor, which took another couple of years. And in 2015, I became a um, certified instructor in 2017, uh, went full time. Mm. And so some of it is, I don't know if you call it like divine intervention or serendipity or like karma. I don't know what you call it. Um, but boy, I'm really fortunate and blessed that it happened. Um, and then through that, I got an opportunity to um, give a TEDx talk, which mm-hmm. came from me giving a talk about my failure in, um, and how I, I failed in my family business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then TEDx sort of got a hold of part of that, which was talking about mentorship. And 2016, a year after I was certified with Dale Carnegie training, I had an opportunity to stand on the big, the big red dot, um, and, uh, and be on the TEDx stage, which was just incredible. That's awesome, man. And so you do that full time now, as far as you, you're a coach, you, you, mm-hmm. you instruct, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome. So talk to me a little bit about how you then started a podcast called I Am Not Your Pastor and what really motivated you to do that? Yeah, so this is like my fourth podcast. Um, so I, I've always been interested in, in, in sharing my ideas and communicating my experience. And so, I mean, you can go back to the whole junior and high school thing. Like I had this experience and I was compelled to tell as many people as I could. Sure. Uh, and I, and I guess the only difference between now and then is now I can just sit at my desk and do it and publish it out for, for people to hear instead of, you know, going, going from place to places often. Um, but the podcast really happened because, um, at first I was searching. So I had a podcast about sales and then a few years later, I closed that down and opened, did another podcast with a friend and then another podcast with a friend. The last one I did was called off the top. And it was just me and my friend bantering. And, um, as a, as a result of that, I, I believe that that podcast was instrumental in helping me, um, to become a full-time coach and instructor and do, do the work that I'm doing now. And after that podcast had kind of ran ran its course, I felt really compelled to start this podcast called I Am Not Your Pastor, where, um, where I could talk about spiritual things. I could, I could be wrong. I could ask questions. I could put certainty to the side. Um, because I was in my coaching practice, I was meeting more and more people that, um, that, did not what maybe were interested in spiritual things, but were not interested in religion, or had come from a from a different religious tradition, or had or used to go to church, but then that thing happened, or those people did that, or um, I was I was alienated for this reason, and I found that it was really often that I I was coaching people um, that the church had either no access to, or Um, the church had done something to fracture the relationship with that person. And um, I found it to be that most people are interested in spiritual discussions. They're interested in, in the things that are a little bit deeper, but the thing that oftentimes gets in the way is it's it's almost like, so I'm really good friends with my pastor Mm -hmm. and I see people guard themselves when 
sometimes my pastor comes around. Like if they would normally curse in a conversation, they won't curse because the pastor's here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And so some of that stuff I wanted to kind of get rid of and and throw that stuff aside and go, Hey, look, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I don't have the education. I don't have the congregation. I'm not ordained. Like, let's just have a conversation. And I have found that to be really enriching, not only for myself, but also for other people and has, has really been beneficial for my faith journey as I'm still figuring it out as we all are. Mm. Um, and, and it's also a lot of, a lot of fun to, to talk about things that, um, that are life giving to others and to some that are certain and decided it makes them bristle a little bit and that's okay. Um, but I have no agenda in this. This is, this is really people coming along on the journey with me. This is not me telling people what they should believe or, or, or even what I believe. I, I had a detractor um, reach out to me to, to rebuke me for some doctrine uh, in my podcast um, uh, about two months ago. And I just said, look, I don't, and you know, he said, well, I don't believe what you said is right. And I said, look, I don't always believe what I'm saying is right. I'm asking questions. I, mm. The whole purpose of the podcast is to say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? And, and this keeps coming up with a, a lot of my guests and, you know, in, in our lives, for those of us who did come up in the evangelical, more conservative stream of Christianity, um, this addic- this addiction to certainty and and Pete Enns, who I had on the podcast uh, a few to- a, f- a few episodes back, wrote a book on it mm. called "The Sin of Certainty." Yeah, um, love that book. It, it's almost like you you have this absolute truth uh, because you believe that the fourth member of the Trinity is the Bible, and the Bible yeah. is absolute truth. It comes from the very mouth of God. So therefore. Everything in it is absolutely true. So if you read something and it's, quote, clear, then there is no debate or argument or other interpretation outside of whatever interpretation you happen to be in. Um, right. It, it, it creates this, uh, these, these foundations that build uh, a world that you see through and a lens that you see through where everything is very... Um, you know, black or white, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's good or bad. It's true or false. It's it. And so, um, it's interesting that you are also getting that, those kind of detractors that saying, well, that's not true because the Bible says this. And, right. you know, one of the things I, I, I find that all of us have in common who have walked through different stages of faith and different stages of seeing the world is that the same, scripture, the same words, the same um, experiences can look and mean and feel very different things depending on where you are in that stage of of your spiritual evolution. So the scriptures that I read now mean something totally different than they did uh, even five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. and, And they should. You know, one of the ways I think about it is the the Bible is clear until it's not, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and gosh, it's once I let go of the need for certainty, the Bible really came alive. Mm -hmm. It it became something that I, it became a resource that I could use um, for wisdom. And when I started caring as much 
about the, the person who wrote it, the time in which they wrote it, the people they wrote it to, and the context in which it was written, and then use that information to make wise decisions in my life, that's when it really came alive. Mm. Otherwise, it was me using my ego and then you and then taking my ego and, and folding it over the Bible and ascribing something to the Bible that the Bible cannot hold the weight of and then using that to beat people over the head with so that I felt better, so that I felt redeemed or I felt like I was going to be the one going to heaven or that, you know, whatever, whatever I needed to feel in my ego. But gosh, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's like, it's like anything else. Like when I watch like my favorite movie, that's been a favorite of mine for, I don't know, a movie that I've, that I loved 10 years ago. When I watch the movie now, it has a different meaning. I see things I haven't seen before. It doesn't make it less right or more right. It just is what it is. And I think it's, it's really easy for people to take their fear of being wrong, of having to change, of being different, of, of not knowing, and use that fear um, in their spiritual practice so that they feel a little better. But what they don't see is the destruction that that puts on not only other people, but gosh, the, the destruction that that creates inside oneself. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to have that position for a long period of time is, is damaging. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that being specific, if you don't mind. I love the way you put that when you said you folded your own ego over the top of whatever that passage or reading was and used it to beat people over the head. Give me, can you give me a real example of how you did that? For sure. So um, when that really started for me, like, man, I don't know that I can explain how good it felt as you know, a 17 year old kid to stand in front of my peers, to preach a sermon and tell them that this is how they, how they make sure their eternity is taken care of. Here's their fire insurance. Say this prayer, come down. You have no idea how good it feels as a 17 year old standing in front of his peers with, with 20 or 30 kids that are your age, that are your peers kneeling before you praying the prayer that you're telling them to pray. (laughs) Like, I mean, what an ego trip that is. Sure. And there, there, there are places where, um, where, where I've done that. And gosh, I mean, if I were really, if I really sat here and interrogated my reality, I'm sure I could think of a handful of ways I do that now. Um, mm. either, uh, even subconsciously. Um, but gosh, I, I can think about like, for example, in my small school, it was like, Hey, you must, you must not listen to secular music. You got to listen to Christian music only. And like, here's, here's what it is. And so we would use the Bible to talk about that. We would, we would quote scripture when someone said a word that we didn't accept. Um, we would, we would quote scripture when, uh, as an adult, when, you know, two people decide that their marriage isn't working out and divorce is looming, um, whether it was a healthy situation or not, we would say, God hates divorce. We would say, you know, homosexuality is an abomination. You know, we would use, we would use these things from scripture to prop us up and make us right, make us the authority, make us superior, um, and, and so much of that is, is ego instead of holding space for people's real lived experience and being able and willing to sit down with 
with a couple who is going through a hard time and saying, let's talk about what the wise decision is in this situation Mm. in light of how we see the character of our creator. Mm. Mm. That's a completely different way of showing up, man. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's a more healthy and I I think it's a more human way of showing up. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, it goes, I mean, there's, you think of almost any political, you know, agenda right now or situation like that's, that's, that's what, that's what we do. You know, like I've had the privilege of coaching so, so many people and not only in, in one-on-one settings and in, in small group settings. And one of the things that I see so clearly with this next generation that's coming up is in so many of the areas where, where my generation and the generations before me, we saw agendas that were against our, so we had our agenda, they had their agenda. I don't see that so much with the younger generation. Mm-hmm. I see, we see agendas, they see people. Mm, that's good. And they see relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, of course, that's not with, with that, I mean, that's not, you can't blanket statement that on the whole, the whole generation. But I think Christianity as a tradition could really be in jeopardy um, in, in some real ways, especially as, I mean, specifically here in the West, in, in America, um, because some of the things that we hold on to as agenda, if the next generation is seeing that as relationship, which, by the way, is the way Jesus saw things um, by indicated through the through the Gospels, um, we're we're really in danger. Some of these denominations. I mean, gosh, look, there's a reason why there's three thousand plus denomination Christian denominations. You know, there's a reason why we've been arguing over these things for thousands of years and we have not figured it out, (laughs) you know, because it's not certain. It's not certain. Yeah. I I was talking to uh, one of my guests recently and we were talking about the evolution of of faith and how, um, you know, we are in a real interesting time time frame in history, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether you read books by uh, Phyllis Tickle or, or others that talk about, you know, every 500 years, there's a major shift, you know, the first yeah. 500 years, you know, you had, you know, the councils and you had the splitting off of, of Roman Catholicism. The next mm-hmm. 500 years, you had uh, Martin Luther. Uh, now, you know, uh, you have the next 500 years, uh, we're at about that time. It seems to be a timely to, uh, way to to evolve. And you know, when you look back um, and you talk about these things, for for some people listening, and for some of the people, some of your detractors, uh, it appears as though what we're saying is that there is a there is no absolute truth, and things are just kind of willy nilly. And that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is that um, that God and things. When you're talking about the divine. You're talking about something that is infinitely knowable, as Richard Rohr says. And when something is infinitely knowable, it means that what you know about something uh, is only a small piece of the true reality, and it will evolve and grow as you know more. So, for for instance, uh, in this country, uh, 150 years ago, 120 years ago, there were people who were very uh, devoted, quote, Christians who used scripture to say that the Bible gave them clear precedent precedence to uh, to own slaves and to treat them well. Um, right. The Apostle Paul says in the epistles that we are to you are slave owners are to treat their slaves 
uh, well and that slave owners are to obey their masters. Okay. Yeah. Well, that seems pretty clear uh, that, you know, the Bible endorses slavery. Well, today mm-hmm. we would say, well, we have moved past that. We have evolved and said, well, that was very cultural. It's not, we don't own other human beings. And as a matter of fact, there is things in scriptures that say, love supersedes any cultural um, moray of the time. Uh, we would also say that uh, 75 to 100 years ago, we would say that the Bible is very clear about uh, when women and men's roles, and there were Christians yeah. who said, no, m- women should not have the right to vote on things in this country because right. here's the way that God ordained it. And there are scriptures mm-hmm. that said, I don't, you know, you don't, Paul would also say, I don't permit uh, uh, women to have authority over a man, that a man is the head and blah, 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 blah. On and on it goes. Now we would say, well, of course women should vote. You know, we've grown beyond that. We've come to see now that that's not uh, the best thing. And so there is precedence uh, in our lifetime of saying we have grown, matured, and we've evolved uh, past certain things. And I think that is the very nature of faith. It's the nature of creation. It's the nature of all things um, that we are growing and and maturing. And this thing that we now read today means something very unique and different than it meant 100, 200, 300 years ago. Uh, Based on who we are, what we know, what science teaches us, what uh, who we are as human beings, what we know to be good and right and true, uh, what we know emotionally, cognitively, what we know about the psychology, what we know about our physical bodies and and medicine and healing and science, all of those play into mm-hmm. the picture. So all of that, I'm circling back around um, to bring it full circle to say, yes, there, there are absolutes. There are things that are black and white, but they're very few. Um, and they're a lot smaller than maybe what we thought they were. Um, And as we evolve and grow, we've got to provide space for people to explore those things. Would you agree? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think so much of that, Bob, has everything to do with the filter um, that we, that we have when we read our Holy scripture, regardless of what that Holy scripture is, just in general, your filter matters. Mm. And I mean, gosh, one of the biggest, like, mind blowing moments I had when it, when it comes to the Bible was realizing that the Bible is an incredibly progressive book. Like if you look at the, the, the progress that's made over the, the arc of the, of the Bible from Genesis to the gospels or even, even to the new Testament in general, you start with a God that is different than the localized God. I mean, you, you read, you read the, the creation story from uh, the, the Canaanite uh, uh, creation story. We presented, and by we, I mean, I mean people that would, would identify with an Abrahamic tradition. We presented a God that was significantly different, that saw us significantly different. And then, and then the, the arc is that God, God blesses the people. God breathes life into them. They're in his image. And then you have, then you have Leviticus, and in that time, Leviticus is revolutionary because it's not like, 
how things would have gone where, you know, you accidentally killed one of my livestock. So I killed two of yours. So you killed six of mine. Well, then I killed your kid. And then, and then you came and stole something from me. And all of a sudden our tribes are at war over one livestock dying. And Leviticus puts an eye for an eye and puts, puts that way of being to death. And then, and then you have that arc all the way to get to Jesus where Jesus says, Hey, look, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're looking at scripture through that filter, which is, which in my best estimation, as I read the gospels, that is the way that Jesus looked at his scripture, which was, which was the, the Jewish Bible. Um, Jesus looked at it through love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself. And he tells that each, and there are very few times, you know, this, there are very few times Jesus is clear and he's straightforward. And he just answers a question. Normally he's just aversive or asks a question back or ask what they think or what they believe. Um, but in this case, he's really, he's really straightforward with his answer. Um, in Matthew and and also also in Mark and maybe it maybe it shows up in the other two gospels I'm not sure I don't I don't remember, um, but when you when you read it through that filter, I can look at that verse from Paul that says slave owners um, treat your slaves well slaves listen to your slave owners and I can say okay he's speaking to people in a cultural context that they probably have no power to change. Mm. And so what he's doing is he's speaking to, to them in terms of how they show up in the world based on how they see themselves and how they see their creator. So what happens when a bunch of slaves and slave owners start getting along and being kind to one another and, and, and thinking about each other more than they think about themselves and really loving their creator with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of a sudden culture starts to shift and people will start being willing to die for one another. And there's no greater love than people that are willing to sacrifice their own lives for each other. And what does that say culturally when a slave owner is willing to do that for his slave? Mm -hmm. It's not saying that slavery is the way it's supposed to be. It's it's just pointing out that that's how it is right now when this letter shows up on the doorstep. Yeah. (laughs) Right. The same with women and the same with, with, I mean, pick your, pick your agenda. Um, but gosh, when we adjust our filter and we get out of our ego and we say, what can I, is this way of reading, is this way of interpreting this passage, does it, does it honor the creator? Does it honor the created? If it does not, then perhaps, perhaps we're off base. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I love that. And, and I also think too, Doug, that uh, if you take a step back and are willing to to do exactly what you're saying and look at culture and context. Um, I think today that in, in, Midi- in several Middle Eastern countries, um, there is a culture and a context based on um, tradition, based on certain religions, based on other things that are still, you know, living in a very um, unprogressive societies where women have to be totally covered. In Saudi Arabia, yeah. they just got the right to drive. You know, a year or two ago, um, you know, there are homosexuals are thrown off buildings and killed. Um, things that we would look at, even as a conservative Christian, and say, "Wow, that's yeah, that's really backwards." 
Well, True. that's a part of the world and country and a culture that the Bible came out of, meaning mm-hmm. if, if you think that that culture is backwards and uh, kind of looks at things uh, uh, very differently than we look at them, what makes you think that 2,000 years ago and 5,000 years ago, depending on where you're going, how far you want to go back with the Old Testament and New Testament, do you think things were any better? They were probably mm-hmm. even less progressive, and that's the yeah. culture that's, that it was coming out of. So, yeah. it, you know, we've got to be careful when we put our, like you said, lens on something that uh, we say, okay, so how does that pertain to me in America in 2019? Do a, right. you know, a literal interpretation is the most base and most basic and un- um, you know, uh, uninformed way of interpreting anything. It's not creative. Um, it is not uh, life-giving. It's just, well, that's what the words say on the page. So that must be what it means. That that yeah. That's that's the most uh, basic way of interpreting anything, and it's not. It doesn't bring life uh, very often. Would you agree with that? A hundred. And and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take an, uh, a literal position, how in the world? am I supposed to address a person or a people group who stand against me in my tradition? Am I supposed to turn the other cheek or am I supposed to kill the uncircumcised Philistine? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's, that's when the ego becomes so dangerous when we will, because it, it is drawn to the thing that satisfies it. And the thing about the gospel and the thing about, honoring your creator and honoring the creator created is it's not driven by ego. And it has to be, it has to be through that, through that lens because I, I can't imagine that the kingdom of God can ever be driven by ego. Mm. It has to be driven by something else. It has to be driven by something that's paradoxical (laughs) and, um, and deeper and more loving and more inclusive. And, you know, when, when, when I read the Bible, I read God talking to people groups much more than I read God talking to people. Mm. And as a community, that's, that's important. And I think we would do ourselves such a favor as Christians or people from uh, an Abrahamic tradition uh, in general to set down our swords and gosh, be willing to take some cues from Jesus. Gosh, when, I mean, I can't find a time in the Gospels where Jesus demanded his rights. But I find many times where Jesus, where Jesus waived his rights, um, even to death. And if that's not an example for us in 2019, going into 2020, and the way we engage politically, socially, relationally, um, gosh, demanding my rights and demanding my way, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that there's a lot of good news in that for other people. And if it's not good news for everyone, my man, I don't know if it's good news. Yeah, yeah, that that's really good. Well, what would you say, Doug, is the top one, two, or three topics um, that you find on your podcast that you find with people you talk to that that uh, people that are coming from um, a conservative or an evangelical background are really trying to untangle and unwind and deal with 
And maybe the other way to say it is, what is, <laughs> what is the one or two things that your detractors really have an issue with? Um, I think we've touched on a lot of them. I, I think one of the big one is the inerrancy of scripture. Um, an, another one is just et- eternity in general, hell and heaven and who gets in and who doesn't and is there or isn't there, or is it, is it eternal conscious torment? And can God do that and still be loving? Can God, um, can God separate those things? Um, it's, and then it's, it's, it's the issues that we were taught as kids, especially the conservative about who's in and who's out. Mm. Can, can gay people be Christian? Mm-hmm. Can they, can they, can I trust them to look after my kids in children's church? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and it's, it's the things like that, that, um, that in some ways can get me really fired up and, and, and sort of evoke that, that old, that, that thing in me that's maybe just a factory setting where I want to, I want to explore, I want to find the answer. I want to really figure it out. And then there's another part of me that just wants to look at people and say, man, that's, that's just not what I'm here for. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not here to, to, to convince you or anybody else that you're wrong or you're right or affirm or, you know, condemn. Gosh, I, I'm just here to be in relationship and to be a demonstration um, to be an image bearer of the creator and the creator as, as I understand him through the lens of Jesus's greatest commandment um, is relationship first. And that's really what I'm here for. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And, and as you, what do you hope to um, accomplish or, what what would be your definition of success, Doug, um, with with the podcast and and the people that you engage with? Oh gosh, um, you know I have found that the more goals I set, the more I disappoint myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the best things in my life have happened because I was just doing my work. I, I have this, I have this mantra that I, that I say to myself and I try to say it to myself every day. Um, really two different things. The first thing is I will do the right things for the right reasons and, and, uh, expect the right results with no attachment to timing. Mm. And so I have found in my life when my, when my motives are pure and I'm trying to do the right things and I'm doing them because a lot of times what we see is people doing the right things for the wrong reasons Yes. or people doing the wrong things for the right reasons. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm really trying to line those two things up and then know that the results will be good, but not putting a timer on God or, or, um, outcomes, but just know that it's going to work out and it's going to work out well. The second mantra that I try to say to myself every day is I'm going to be who I am, no matter who stands in front of me. So often in our lives, we end up just simply responding to our circumstances, right? If things go bad, then we have a, we're in a bad attitude. If things go great, we're in a good attitude. And then we have that scale in between. And for people that are kind to us, we're kind to them. If they agree with us, we love them. If they disagree with us, we loathe them. We can't stand them. And one of the things I really hope to hope to continue to grow in 
is that, man, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be this guy, the guy that I am, whether you're on board or off, whether you love me or hate me. And I can give you warmth and, um, regardless and your interpretation of me, what you think of, what you think about me is none of my business. Mm. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that I don't apologize a lot to people and say, gosh, I was off base or maybe I shouldn't said this, or maybe I shouldn't said it this, this other way. Um, but those are really the things that I try to accomplish in my everyday life. And I my hope for the podcast is that I encourage people to come along for the journey as I bump around and knock things over, trying to, trying to accomplish this. Um, and it's, it's, it's really about building relationships and the first relationship that you must have in my mind is a relationship with yourself. Uh, and the way that you think about yourself and see yourself as it relates to the creator. And then you can start building your relationship with the creator and how, and, and what that looks like and feels like. And then from that flows every other relationship that you have. And um, it's just my belief that, that God is not a Republican or a Democrat or straight or gay, or he's not on anybody's side. <laughs> uh, and, and I, and I still catch myself with the, with the, the pronoun thing saying he, because that's, that's how, that's the original picture I received. And, um, you know, God is, God is closer to us than, than we give credit for. Uh, and God is, we're able to access God when we take away the ego, when we take away needing to be right and we just sit and observe and decide, because I think it is an active choice, decide to be a demonstration of the divine here on earth. We were, we were created to be the image bearers of the divine and to do that work. And that's really, man, boy, is that not hard work? Um, I think it's worthwhile work. Yeah, for sure. As we're wrapping up, I'd like for you to just riff for a few minutes on one of your last podcasts. It was called Original Goodness. And it touches on a, a subject that keeps popping up with my guests uh, because mm -hmm. it, it's a it's a theme that I think is so important to really unpack and unravel this whole idea of uh, original goodness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so I was I, I was I was raised to believe that you are you are born a sinner. Uh, you are your your good deeds are like filthy rags, and uh, you are in the hands of an angry God. And the God that I was presented with early. Maybe by, by good, well-intentioned, loving people. These, these were not monsters. I was not in a cult. Um, what I was taught as a kid, though, is very much a, a God that says, love me or else. Mm. And that I was fundamentally broken. And when I thought about myself as fundamentally broken, then Jesus could redeem me. And Jesus could make me clean. He could, he could wash my sins as white as snow and turn my filthy rags into white garments, right? And these are all the things that I heard as a kid. Um, but then I would sin again. And then I would disappoint God. And then I would be worried if God was angry at me. And man, that was a, that, that's a really stressful way to live, <laughs> to, sure. to think that way. Because gosh, I can tell you one thing, I, I would not hang around my own father very much if that was his 
mm. posture toward me. Sure. I wouldn't have a very good marriage if that was my wife's posture toward me. I would not expect to have a great relationship with my children as, if, as they grow up, if that's my posture toward them. And so when I, when I really did the research and I really studied the difference between the creation story in Genesis and the other creation stories of similar times, and I saw how different humanity was framed, I noticed that, that when God created humans, he blessed them. He made them in, in the image of God. And then when they sinned in Genesis 3, I think most people's theology, conservative in, in, in my world, um, most of the theology doesn't start in the beginning of Genesis. It actually starts in Genesis 3. Um, it doesn't start in Genesis 1. And in Genesis 3, when, the, when we see the record of the first sin that was committed, it's interesting that, that God still pursues God goes after them and says, what happened? What did you do? And then when they confess, God never curses them. You know, we, we talk about the curse and we think we're cursed. And that, that, that's a common way of thinking. That's not what happens in the text. That's not the story. The story is that God does not curse the people. He does not curse Adam. He does not curse Eve. God curses the serpent, who is the accuser. God curses the um, the uh, the act of childbearing and makes it makes it painful, and then God curses the ground, and God never curses the people. Yeah, exactly. And so, is sin a is sin a thing? Of course, it is. Is it something must be dealt with? A hundred percent. Is there evil in the world? For sure, <laughs> there's evil in the world. I don't have to leave my office. All I can have to do is go and look in the mirror and know that, that evil is afoot, right? Um, but that's not who we are. That's just what we do, and there's a difference. Yes. And that's where my concept of original goodness comes from. That's so good. That's good. You know, it's like we said before. It's, it's the first uh, first chapter of Genesis is uh, God saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Um, yeah. But we, we don't start... We would like to camp on Genesis three and build a theology around that, uh, which is really interesting. That that whole doctrine uh, was never present in the early church until uh, Augustine tried to uh, uh, decided that we've got to build a system uh, around who's in and who is out, so that we can have some sort of like uh, control or or whatever. I, I don't know the motives, but that it wasn't yeah. present for the first several hundred years of the church. And then, um, you know, Martin Luther came along and Calvin and really refined that doctrine of original sin and total, depra- yep. total depravity. And it, it's really sad that, that psycho- how psychologically damaging uh, it can be for people, because for some people, it, it, it doesn't affect them at all. But for some, you know, you really grow up kind of thinking, uh, you know, well, there's nothing good in me. Uh, anything good comes out of me. And then I'm become a Christian and I'm told that I'm accepted and loving and under grace, but uh, I still can't take the credit for anything good that, that, that I've become. Yeah. Uh, uh, all I can take credit for is just bad. Uh, and evil right. because my heart's deceitfully wicked. I can't trust my own feelings. I can't, I can't follow my own dreams. I've got to check Mm -hmm. everything that uh, makes me a better person comes from something outside of me. And that, that can be, in my opinion, very damaging to people. 
A hundred percent. And it doesn't take a lot of awareness to see, to see the flaws. If you've ever, if I had the privilege of watching, uh, being present and, and, and having the experience of physically seeing both of my children be born. Mm. And I held both of my children still messy from the, from the experience of childbirth. And as I looked at both of them in their, watch, watching them take their first breath, crying for the first time, uh, being outside of the womb, neither of those children did I look at and think to myself, what a depraved little baby. Mm. I saw the image of God. I saw holiness. I saw new creation. I saw, I saw, I believe what really happened in Genesis one. I saw original goodness and we get confused because we meet people that don't look very good to us right, <laughs> and we right. do, and we do things that, that it's easy to go, gosh, I am really a horrible human being. I'm awful. And so is everybody else or trauma that happens to us makes changes our lens. It's what we do. It's not who we are. It's mm. what we do. It's not who we are. That's so good. Well, Doug, we've come to the end of our hour. It's been great. Thank you for taking the time to to open up and share your story. And and I really appreciate what you're doing with uh, I Am Not Your Pastor podcast. How can people find uh, find the podcast? How can they find what you're doing, reach out to you? Do you have a website? Do you have anything else that you want uh, to tell people how to connect with you on? Yeah, for sure. The, the website is um, IamNotYourPastor.com. Um, and that's just kind of landing landing page. Um, I, what I really um, prefer to do is to, to to try in every way to be relational with people. And the place that I'm most um, active is Instagram, and I'm at Doug Stewart nine one nine. And that's where I, that's where I post all of my podcast stuff. But really, more than that, I, I look to really engage in community. Um, we also have a community on Facebook. Uh, Facebook dot com slash group. Slash, I am not your pastor. Um, where uh, we we have a we have a, a great little group in there that that has the has the ability to ask some questions that um, and talk about some things that maybe they they don't feel comfortable with in their maybe in their family or where they're where they currently are in their faith journey. Um, so those are those are really the three places um, that I can be found. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and. Um, I, I'm hoping that some of our listeners will, will check out your podcast because it's awesome. Uh, so. Thank you so much, man. And I'm, I'm enjoying the work that you do. It's it's such a pleasure to to come across people like you and, and that are doing things like you're doing that um, that that are just so open handed and open hearted. It's 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 really a blessing to see. Awesome, Doug. Well, thanks. Thank you so much for that, and we will talk to you really soon. Sounds good. Thank you, brother. Bye bye. <laughs>